This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay on Tuesday, May the 10th. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. First today, the jury at the trial of a man accused of murdering Kent PCSO Julia James have visited the scene where she was killed. They walked the route the 53-year-old had taken with her dog Toby not far from her home in Snowdown last April before she was attacked. They also visited the defendant's home and the spots where he was pictured on CCTV. Well, Callum Wheeler, who's 22, denies murder, but yesterday on the opening day of the trial did admit killing Julia. Well, our reporter Lydia Chandler-Hicks was at that opening day yesterday. Here's a reminder of what happened. The prosecution told how the alleged murder weapon was a jack handle, which is part of a tool that's used for lifting up heavy pieces of the railway. When officers searched Wheeler's home in Sunshine Corner Avenue in Aylsham, the, the home that he shared with his father in May last year, they found the jack handle, which is nearly a metre long and weighs more than three kilograms, inside his bedroom. It was apparently wrapped up in, in carrier bags. Julia's blood and Wheeler's DNA were both found on that jack handle, while Julia's blood was also found on a pair of trainers that Wheeler owned. His DNA in turn was found on her clothing, the prosecution said. The prosecution alleged that witnesses actually saw Wheeler walking in the Elsham area carrying an item, a long item, that they claimed to be the murder weapon in the days both before and after her death. They claimed that Julia had actually herself, along with her husband Paul, seen Wheeler in the Acultwood area in the months leading up to her death. She was, of course, found dead right beside Acultwood. The prosecution also told the jury how data that was extracted by police from an Apple watch that Julia had been wearing the afternoon that she died helped piece together her final movements. They said that the data showed the exact route she had taken with her dog, the Jack Russell Toby, on April the 27th last year. It showed the moment too when the prosecution alleges that Julia actually saw Callum Wheeler lurking in Accult Wood, the moment when her heart rate and her pace sped up and she took a detour out of the woods in what the prosecution says was an attempt to escape him before she was tragically killed. Well, the jury were sent home for the rest of this afternoon and will be back in court tomorrow. You can, of course, follow the very latest when the trial resumes by heading to kentonline.co.uk. Kent Online News. Prince Charles has stepped in for the Queen today and outlined the government's plans for the year ahead at the state opening of Parliament. He said the government's priority is to strengthen the economy and help ease the cost of living crisis, something we're going to be chatting about more in the podcast a little bit later. Levelling up was also mentioned and might be something you've heard about before. It's all about getting more people back into work and reviving our struggling town centres and high streets. We've been getting reaction to that from Jo James. She's a Chief Executive of the Kent Invicta Chamber of Commerce, which represents businesses in Kent. But levelling up certainly is going to put local councils actually more in control of their areas. Uh, and the bill is actually going to give them the opportunity to, to shape their town centres. You know, up to now, they've not had any powers over landlords and premises, as, as we've seen right across the county, uh, have sat empty in town centres and actually blighted a town centre. But now they can actually start to put these empty buildings back into use and and do what's needed, which is, is breathe new life into our town centres. And of course, importantly, uh, create jobs. Absolutely. And as you say there, I mean, any 
empty shop. I mean, it just doesn't look appealing, does it? So do you know too much about the detail as to how quickly perhaps um, a council would be able to get new tenants in rather than, as you say in the past, leaving those shops sit empty? This is going to take time to go through. And I I think there will be obviously a a period where there's going to be discussion with the landlord. So it won't be instant. But, you know, we're not talking of large timescales here. So we should start to see an impact on on our our town centres. But also, you know, if we look at the levelling up agenda, uh, the UK Shared Prosperity Fund, uh, that, um, again, is going down to to local authorities. So, again, it's another positive move. In the past, this funding has gone to uh, LEPS. um, It's also gone to county councils. But actually, this time, this funding is going directly to the local source. So, actually, it gives them another priority, another opportunity to prioritise some really hyper-local priorities that are really going to impact. And I know talking to so many of our councils, that actually they're looking at this as an opportunity to to reinvigorate their high street. So, you know, at at last we've got some positive news uh, for our high streets. Obviously, high streets have have suffered as a result of the pandemic, but we really seem to have seen a lot more um, independent retailers perhaps want to replace the shops that were left empty by the the bigger high street names that we saw go under, sadly, during the pandemic. But do you think how our high streets are actually shaped will will change in future and perhaps the councils then can use this money to make them more of a mix of shops, office space, housing. It seems to be that perhaps the traditional view of a high street won't be quite as it was going forward. Our high streets, to survive, they have to change. I think we all have to let go of that image of a high street that is covered in shops and people in and out and, you know, coming out with our shopping bags, going in with full purses and coming out with empty ones. Those days have gone. Um, you know, the drive to online shopping, you know, the pandemic has just quickened that pace even more. It was going to happen anyway. Um, and, and, you know, we have seen these large retailers year on year and year and year now um, to, to cease trading. Um, and our town centres have to become that hub of the community, um, which will include retail. Um, it will in- include leisure. It will include housing. Um, you know, it, it will be a, a mix So it's more balanced um, and probably more sustainable. And I think this way it will attract more independent retailers. You know, the large retailers now, um, you know, we are running, we are running short of them now. You know, know, if we look at just in in, in our towns, how many of the major super you know, big brands have, have we actually lost and we all used to have a, a Debenhams and you know in Ashford there was a John Lewis and you know we don't have these now um, and I think t- it gives an opportunity for towns to be more individual um, you know if you if you go what's the big attraction to go and have a look down Whitstable and the big attraction um, is because it is so full of independence. It's different. It's not like a clone town. You know, everyone has its purpose and it has its own attraction. And I think that's a real opportunity uh, going forward. And there are so many people, uh, entrepreneurs out there who, who have got a great idea. Um, they're great at, at making something or, or whatever. And actually, this could be the opportunity for them to actually take that first step in, into a high street and, and have a presence, obviously not forgetting along the retail presence, because it has to be that, that sort of blended approach 
if it's going to be successful. Thanks ever so much to Jo for her time on that one. Well, the speech also referred to plans to find cheaper, cleaner and more secure energy. Other planned laws include measures to prevent dangerous and illegal channel crossings to Kent. Some local political news now, and the Conservatives have managed to keep control of Maidstone Council, despite losing two seats in last week's local elections. An independent councillor has rejoined the Tory party, which gives them the majority they need to form the next administration. Bosses say they're now able to push ahead with policies set out in their manifesto. Some news from court now and a man who threw chemicals into another man's face, leaving him with burns and breathing problems, has been jailed for six years. Isaac Kigundu carried out the attack when the victim tried to stop him from beating a woman in a street in Dover in November 2018. The 25-year-old from Priory Road in the East Ham part of London claimed he'd been wrongly identified, but a jury took just over an hour to convict him. A man's been taken to hospital following a suspected gang attack in Herne Bay. He'd been found injured in a front garden in Douglas Road on Sunday morning after reportedly being targeted by a group of people. Police investigating a fatal crash near Faversham are now looking for a specific driver who may have vital information. 19-year-old Cavan Scott from Sittingbourne was hit by a car and killed while cycling along Lower Road in Tenham last Monday. Five people who were arrested have been released on bail. Officers want to speak to the driver of a light-coloured vehicle that was in the area at the time. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. The Home Office is going to tell its first group of asylum seekers this week that it plans to send them to Rwanda. This controversial policy, which was announced by the PM during a visit to Lid a couple of months ago, will give some people who cross the Channel to Kent in small boats a one-way ticket to the East African nation. Well, it's facing several legal challenges, but Sky's John Craig says the Home Office is determined to make it work. Well, Priti Patel had hoped that this would be a deterrent to all those people crossing uh, the channel, making those precarious journeys in small boats. It hasn't proved the case. Last week there were 700 or so. The number's uh, getting on towards 8,000 so far in the whole of this year. Families in Kent who are waiting for visa applications so they can be reunited with a partner or other family say they feel forgotten. Some couples have been separated for months because one isn't a British national and has to wait for the paperwork to be completed. Well, it's thought the delays have been made worse as the Home Office tries to process thousands of applications made by people from Ukraine trying to flee the conflict there. You can read from a Kent case study by heading to the story at Kent Online today. Another P&O ferry ship has been cleared to sail between Dover and Calais. The Pride of Kent passed a safety inspection yesterday after previously failing three times. It's the second ship to be allowed back onto the cross-channel route since the company sacked 800 workers and replaced them with lower-paid agency staff in March. We're going to be chatting now, as promised, about the rising cost of living and how it's affecting so many families in Kent. Well, the Kent Online podcast has been told a staggering one in three children can't swim and many are missing out on lessons because of the expense. A study to mark the start of Learn to Swim Week has also found parents are struggling to find a teacher near them and can't afford to travel for lessons. There's now a pledge to try and train more swimming teachers across the UK. Lucy's been chatting to Angela Wilson, who's based in Swanley and runs a swim school in the county. Obviously, from, from my perspective, swimming is a life saving skill not only is it a life-saving skill it's a life-enhancing skill and I think if all people were able to swim properly and not just be able to get in the water and move around but actually be able to swim 
it would help reduce so many issues and problems around one water safety and drownings but then also it would improve people's overall general health and well-being as well people are obviously struggling because of the things that are happening with within the world at the moment but also part of the problem is is that it's an educational um life skill that it's part of the curriculum but is not seen as part of the curriculum within the schools so majority of schools are not able to get the access to the pools that they need in order to get the children learning to swim from an early age so there's two sides to it one yes it has an impact financially but second of all it is something that the government have committed to children to learning to swim when they leave school and it's not happening we have found that when we came back after all of the lockdowns that children and adults who potentially would have naturally learned to swim or were learning to swim the fear had become greater in them and that made it even more difficult to get them to learn to swim so the impact that the pandemic has had on people's lives and the fears that it's created around water has been definitely uh, made a lot worse. We're also hearing about a shortage of swimming teachers. Is that something you know anything about? Have you experienced that at all? Well, it's something that I think, again, was created due to the pandemic because courses were stopped. People who naturally would have wanted to have done their courses were unable to access them. And then there's a shortage of courses now across the UK. And many people who wanted to become instructors have not been able to do that. And because of the limitation of the amount of courses that are running, people can't get qualified. The other problem that we've got as well is that a lot of swimming pools are being closed down. And this is going to become even worse as time goes on with the living costs and also with the gas electricity going up. I think we're going to see more swimming pools closed in the future. And this is going to increase the problems that we're seeing at the moment. Interesting stuff. And staying on this topic, designer clothes, football kits and even wedding dresses are being sold at a charity shop in Ashford for just a pound to try and help families who are struggling with rising prices. With energy costs and food bills going up, many people are having to make cutbacks on things like new clothes and shoes. The YMCA in Park Mall sells end-of-line products that haven't sold. We've been chatting to Lisa Barden, who's the store manager. I mean, everything's going up. Nothing's coming down, no one goes shopping, so let's say all our clothes are a pound, all our bric-a-brac's 50p, children's are 50p, and with everything going up, we're going down. So it's basically, if it's been in a shop anywhere else in the southeast of England or London, it will be there for sort of seven days, and then so that it's not ragged, it comes down to us once it's been there. It's been rotated down to us and it would literally just go straight out on the shop floor. Converse, DMs, you name it, we'll sell it. I feel like it's Primark come to Ashford. Yes, I think it's something that Ashford does need and it's a reward for Ashford. Um, there are lots of charity shops, like there are lots of nail bars and there's lots of barbers. But we have been rewarded in the past from other charities with a pound shop or 99p shops, we're here and we're here to stay this time. Um, it's something that you do need. There was lots of football kits as well. I mean, one lady came in and she said that uh, she must have saved herself a good £250 on the football kits. They were all Adidas, they were all named football teams. Uh, she bought five sets or six sets of them 
and she said that she would never have even been able to buy one set, but now she bought six sets, they're a pound each, and she was over the moon. You can also read our special report online today about how prices have changed over the decades from the cost of a house to a car and even entry to Margate's dreamland. Kent Online reports. Now, this is one of our most read stories today. Work to replace the Orbital Park roundabout in Ashford with traffic lights has finally started. National highways are reducing part of the A2070 to a single lane as part of plans to reduce congestion in the town. Well, it was postponed twice because Operation Brock was in place on the nearby M20. You can see details of the disruption it's causing at Kent Online, but we've been catching up with Dan Wright, who's news editor of the Kentish Express, which covers the town. The roadworks in Ashford are attracting so much attention because it is one of the busiest roundabouts in the town, which is about to be ripped up and replaced by traffic lights. It feels like this scheme's been a long time coming and that's because it has. It was back to the early 2000s when this was first discussed, but it's been pushed back and back again by Junction 10A, a Christmas roadworks embargo and most recently by Operation Brock. So there's been a lot of stumbling blocks in the way, but now finally work has begun and already it's proving troublesome for drivers across the town. It's bad morning this morning and that's only going to get worse with weeks of lane closures and work continuing until October. It's a controversial scheme because a lot of drivers feel that the current roundabout works fine. Yes, it gets congested at peak times, but they feel that it should just stay as a roundabout free of traffic lights. Highways bosses disagree and feel like a junction is the way to go. So it will just be a case of waiting it out and seeing if in the future it does prove a success. But at the moment, drivers are facing a lot of disruption, which will go on until October. Green campaigners are calling for more to be done to prevent birds from getting trapped in fishing equipment at a lake in Dartford. Pictures on the website today show one swan with a hook stuck in its neck at Brooklands Lake and another trapped in a line. The society which runs the site says it does everything it can to keep wildlife safe. And several new restaurants are due to open in Canterbury over the next few months. The Kent Online podcast has been told it shows there's more of a shift towards the leisure industry in the high street with some eateries taking over former retail units. Pizza chain Franco Manca opens today while Cozy Club is also expected to open in the city. You can see the full list by heading to Kent Online. Kent Online Sports. A couple of bits of football news to bring you. First up, Gillingham have confirmed they're freezing their season ticket prices after being relegated to League Two. The club's chairman, Paul Scally, has written a letter to the fans and says work to find investors is ongoing. Manager Neil Harris, meantime, is also busy reshaping the squad. We told you about the number of players that have been released from Priestfield yesterday. Just seven are still under contract. And former Maidstone United boss Jay Saunders is taking over at Tunbridge Angels. He's been in charge of Margate since February 2019 but will now manage at a higher level again. He'll take over from Steve McKim who was sacked less than a week ago after the club finished 16th in the National League South. Well that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can also get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site. You need to subscribe to do it. Just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can try. This is the Kent Online Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group. 
with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.